What a great day. Good morning, ladies. Thanks for being here. Um, I love women's word. I love being here with like-minded women to study the word. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the teaching team. So thank you for being here. Now, for those of you that are of my genre, um, growing up in the 50s and 60s, you know that um, TV looked a whole lot different than it does today, right? Um, a lot different. If you are of my genre, you'll remember that whenever there was a program with married people, that twin beds were the only option. Do you remember that? Ozzy and Harriet in their twin beds and Rob and Laura in their twin beds. Uh, and there wasn't really anything that we called reality TV. There was no bachelor. There was no bachelorette. Uh, it was actually... Um, as TV was really growing back then. It was the beginning of the game show era. Uh, and I actually remember watching one pretty vividly with my parents that was called Truth or Consequences. Truth or Consequences. And the whole idea behind the show was that the contestants had approximately two minutes to answer some really random question with the truth, or they had the consequence of doing some sort of crazy stunt that they had to perform. Now, because TV was relatively new back then, most of the people would choose the consequence. They wouldn't answer the question because they wanted to be on TV. They wanted their friends to be able to tune in and see them doing some kind of crazy stunt. They wanted that limelight of the consequence. Um, you know, today, the world... Um, the world we live in, unfortunately, people also pick the consequences rather than the truth. I don't know whether they want the limelight of the consequence or not, but I believe that our world chooses consequences because they don't believe that truth is real and unchanging and absolute. We've got a great uh, chance this morning to talk about 2 John and see how John writes about the truth. And he exposes that there are real consequences of ignoring the truth. So turn with me in your Bibles once again to that small letter of 2 John. And we are going to read the first three verses together. To the elder and to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Now, 2 John is actually the shortest book in the New Testament, 245 words. And John begins this little bitty short book that we could actually probably call a postcard here by identifying himself as the elder. And certainly he's that. John was actually a very old man when he wrote 2 John. It was probably not very long after he wrote the letter 1 John that we've just completed. And he is the last remaining apostle, the last one that actually talked and walked and lived with Jesus for three years. So he, I think, has earned the right to call himself the elder here. I don't think it's pride. I think it's just fact. 
He is the elder of the church. And he addresses this lady, this letter to the elect lady and her children. And there are two main thoughts about who this might be. The first one is, is that it was an actual woman in her family that he knew or had been associated with through one of her church, one of his churches. Um, the second thought is that the elect lady and her children could be um, actually be a church and its congregation. That's who the children are. Um, and, and John has personified them here in this letter. Um, this interpretation actually fits the letter pretty well, that it is a church and a congregation. As we go through it, we're going to talk about that. That interpretation is favored today by most modern scholars. And as I read through it, I really like that one the best as well. Um, the reason is, this letter is written during a time of intense persecution of the church. And so it um, is logical that John would want to disguise the identity of this church by personifying them as simply a woman and her family. Um, we see in the first three verses here, John loves this church, doesn't he? He loves these people. And he shares with us in these first three verses what is the basis for his love. His love for this church is founded in the common bond of truth. Now, truth, John uses truth four times in these first three verses. It's actually the focus of this little postcard that we're going to go through here. Um, now, as I already mentioned, truth is not held in high regard in our world today, is it? According to our culture, what's true for you? doesn't necessarily have to be true for me. In other words, our world does not possess, uh, profess that absolute truth exists in our world. In our world, truth is relative, and it can be changed in any type of way to fit our narrative. You believe what you believe, and I can believe what I believe, and we can both call them truth. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? It's pretty crazy. But actually, questioning absolute truth is not new just to our world. Look at the discussion between Jesus and Pilate before the crucifixion. I have it on your verse sheet, John 18. Then Pilate said to him, to Jesus, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you would say, uh, you say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is the truth? What is truth? So what I want to do is to take a couple of minutes and let's answer Pilate. Let's, let's discuss what truth is. You know, the definition of truth, if you take time to look it up, truth is being in accord with fact and reality. Truth always corresponds to reality, to what actually is provably is. Um, it's not what we imagine. Truth is not what we imagine. It's not what we surmise. It's not what we heard secondhand, um, truth is what actually is. 
Anytime you hear the word truth, you can automatically think fact and reality. What is the fact and reality? Our God is the God of truth because he created all things. He created every fact, every reality that is part of our world. He created truth. Fact and reality originate from our creator. So God is the God of truth. We see that countless times throughout the scriptures, and his truth is revealed to us through the word of truth. And every single word, every single small word or big word in this Bible is God's truth. It is fact and reality. And certainly Jesus, we see that Jesus believes in divine and absolute truth uh, because he is a witness to that truth. He's been with God, hasn't he? He's witnessed the truth, and he's an embodiment of the truth because he is God himself. Um, he, Jesus is the fact and the reality that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. That is a fact and reality, a truth that Jesus himself in the flesh bears witness to. Now, actually, uh, I thought this it was interesting as I studied through this. Jesus could have answered Pilate right here with two simple words. Two simple words. He could have said to the question, what is truth? He could have said, I am. I am. And I think Pilate would have been pushed to the floor by that um, stunning revelation that Jesus is the truth. Look at John 14, 6 with me because Jesus says he is the truth. Jesus said to him, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the fact and the reality of truth. Whether our world acknowledges it or not, whether they believe it or not, he is truth. And the scriptures, which are the word of truth, actually describe the great value of truth. Truth is such a valuable commodity that our scriptures, our word of truth, tell us that we should value it above all earthly riches. Look at Psalm 119, 27. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. The truth of God's word should be valued above fine gold. And Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy truth and don't sell it. That's something Wall Street should probably take note of, um, isn't it? Um, the value and importance of truth are actually upheld by John right here in this short little letter because truth he tells us, is the bond that unites us. What an incredible, valuable thing that is, that truth is the bond that unites us. It unites us through our profession of faith in Jesus as the truth and the Savior of the world. And it unites us through the spirit of truth that lives in each one of us because of our profession of faith. Look at John 14, 6. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. You know, all of us have family, and we have friends with commonalities that unite us. We have the same last name or the same sibling. Um, 
but the truth that is and was and will be forevermore binds us all together in a bond that is more powerful than any other bond that we might have in this world. Our families are going to change, aren't they? And our friends may move to another city or town or take another job, but the bond of truth that binds all of us together here in this room, that abides in each one of us that sits in that pew right there, it is eternal. It is eternal. And John tells us in these first few verses that the truth that binds all of us is going to be with us forever. And you know what the outcome is? He shares with us of having the truth live inside of each one of us. The outcome of that is that we have grace and mercy and peace. I call these the big three. If you go to Africa, you look for the big five, but I think these are the big three right here. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and God the Son. That's going to be part of our life through this bond that unites each one of us. You know, we have a great ministry here at Christ Chapel called Soul Care, and they've been teaching a class um, occasionally on Sunday mornings at the Fort Worth campus that they call Toxic Emotions. And they're talking about the emotions of guilt and anger and fear and anxiety. John reminds us here in these few verses that the truth that lives in each one of us, um, through that truth, we have divine blessings instead of toxic emotions. We have the divine blessings of grace, mercy, and peace. And what a contrast that is to the fear, anger, guilt, and anxiety that is rampant out there in the world that lives without that abiding truth. One theologian that um, I read, I thought this was pretty insightful, he pointed out that these three blessings actually summarize God's plan for us. His grace, God's grace allowed him to show each one of us mercy through our Lord Jesus, which brings us peace with God for all of eternity. The God of truth unites all of us through his truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of truth. And that comes to us because of God's great love. So what's the truth or consequence for us today as we read these verses? You know, we live in such a time of discord and disharmony. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, don't get on Twitter unless you want an argument with someone because that's, um, I mean, Twitter is filled with toxic emotions. Um, our world can be so discouraging unless you remember this great truth that lives in us and unites us forever as God's family, no matter what our circumstances are in the world. No, whether, no matter whether they're good today or bad today, we can remember, as John shares with um, this church in his letter here, that we are united by truth into an eternal family forever, forever. And in our family, what do we have in our family? We have grace and mercy and peace. But, you know, even as believers, we can choose the consequences. We can choose the consequences. And if we choose not to abide in the truth, the truth that is ours as believers, if we don't abide in that truth, we're going to lose that grace and mercy and peace that God has given us as his family. Instead, we're going to abide with the world, even as believers will abide with the world 
in those toxic emotions of guilt and anger and fear and anxiety. Truth or consequences. Okay, let's read a little bit more. Uh, look at verse 4 with me. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Okay, so John is excited here because he has somewhere in his life come across members of the church that he's addressing. And what he's seen is that they're doing exactly what God the Father has commanded. He's met them somewhere or um, had an occasion to take a meal with them, to have a conversation. And what he sees is they're walking in the truth. They're walking in the truth. Now, the phrase walking in that John uses here is actually a metaphor for a way of life. And we see it throughout the scriptures, don't we? We see it um, where it says walk in the light, walk in wisdom, uh, walking in love. How we walk is how we live our life. And John uses it here to say that whoever it is that he's run across, encountered, they're obviously living their lives guided by the truth. Guided by the truth. The fact and reality of God's commands are guiding their lives. They are living life obedient to the will and commands of God the Father. And it shows. It shows. It's recognizable to John. You know, and as believers, that's what we should want too. We should want to be known for the fact that our path is guided by the truth. The fact and reality of God's command should be visible in our life as we walk in this world. And John writes here again about loving one another. We see that again. He did that in his first letter. We studied um, love in John's first letter. We're going to see it next week again in John 3. It's not a new commandment. But what this is, is a reminder that as this church and its people face false teachers and the Antichrist, um, they need to be loving one another, even in the face of that adversity from false teachers. You know, these false teachers and Antichrist um, are pushing their way into the church and pushing their way into people's lives. And what that's doing is it's creating controversy. It's creating disunity and disputes because people are trying to sort out, well, I believe what this false teacher said. Oh, no, that's not the truth. And so probably there are some broken relationships that are a result of these false leaders pushing, false teachers pushing their way into the church um, and bringing that toxic false teaching with them. You know, we see that in our world too. We see that in our churches and in our denominations as false teaching, incorrect interpretations of even simple scriptures and bad theology that influences churches and denominations around the country. It's in the news every single week, unfortunately. And usually it's over simple things that should be fairly clear in the scriptures. Things like, what is God's design for marriage? 
Ladies, go back and look through the first few pages of Genesis. It's pretty clear. The other one that's been circulating out there that denominations have been dealing with is, is there literal hell? Is that just some sort of metaphor for something else, or does hell really exist? Go back and read what Jesus has to say. Um, these false interpretations of truth in churches that come into churches create pretty intense emotions and conflicts. And denominations and churches are clashing and splitting over them every single day. John's words are, he, are clear here. When we let truth guide our path, even in the midst of attacks from false teachers and false doctrines, we can love one another. We can love one another as only Christian brothers and sisters can do when they walk in the truth. Now notice I didn't say agree with one another. I said love one another. And 1 Corinthians 13 gives us the truth that we're supposed to walk in even in the midst of controversy. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. When we walk in the truth about love, as Paul lays it out here in 1 Corinthians, we give evidence that it is the truth not pride or emotion or anger that guides our path. If we want the best for others, ladies, if we want the best for others, and if we want the best for the church, then we are going to love um, the people around us with the truth. You know, there's a famous line. Um, um, I'm going to date myself with old media today. There's a famous line from uh, a 1970s classic movie, Love Story, which says, uh, love means never having to say you're sorry. Y'all remember that? Anybody out there remember that? Yes, love means never having to say you're sorry. But John refutes that um, classic movie line here because John tells us that love means walking in the truth. Love means walking in the truth because love is evidence. Love is the evidence that it is God's truth that guides our path. If you want to look around your world and say, who's really walking in the truth? Find someone that's loving people like 1 Corinthians um, 13. Love is the evidence that God's truth guides our path. Um, but John makes another point here um, in these three verses as he talks to this church. He talks about what um, they have heard from the beginning. What they've heard from the beginning. And what he's addressing here with his readers is that do not waver from the apostles' re original teaching about who Jesus is. The way the people that walked with Jesus and founded the truth on the original truth of who Jesus is. Do not waver from that. Um, the original apostles correctly taught God's truth as they had seen it and heard it and lived with it and touched it uh, in their time with Jesus. Um, this is the teaching from the beginning that founded the church. The Antichrist that were coming in were 
perverting this truth. Uh, they were reinventing this truth. Sometimes you add things to it. Sometimes you take away. But it's not the original truth. It is reinvented to look bigger and better. And John warns his people here, don't, don't begin to follow the reinvented truth. Walk in the truth that it was from the beginning. And that truth that founded the church is the greatest defense that any of us can ever have um, as we face false teachers out there in the world. So what's our truth or consequence from these words of John's right here? You know, the truth is that when truth guides our path, it's obvious to everyone around us. Um, our lives reveal what we believe. We can't conceal it. Uh, we walk it every single day, whatever it is that we believe. That's what John saw. He met these people from this church, and it was recognizable that they were walking in the truth. Truth, the truth that they had heard from the beginning was a way of life. It was a way of life for them. You know, if I gave you all a few minutes, you could all, I think, sit there and ponder who do I know that's walking in the truth? You might be able to write their name down on your outline. Most of us could picture a person that we know recognizably from the way they live their life that they're walking in the truth. Our truth today needs to be, um, should be, that when others encounter us along the path of life, just like John, they should recognize that we're walking in the truth. But there's a consequence, too. Even for us as believers, if we choose not to let truth guide our path, the consequence is we lose a great opportunity to show the world what love really looks like. When we don't walk in the truth, we lose that opportunity because you know what the world thinks love looks like. The world thinks it looks like emotions and soulmates and especially tolerance. The world equates love with tolerance. If you tolerate someone that and their views, it's loving. Um, live and let live is kind of the world's definition of love. Not true. Real love for others is not tolerance of false teaching. It's not tolerance of bad doctrine. Real love for others and for God is walking in the truth of his commands. Um, because anything other than that harms the people around us. Okay, so let's read a couple uh, more verses. Let's look at um, verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. 
So in John's day, this church he's writing to, um, there are many, many, many false teachers and antichrists apparently invading the church. It wasn't just one or two or an occasional random thing. Uh, the false teachers were numerous, and they had distorted the truth apparently in a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways. They are telling many lies about who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus. And John started this letter by talking about the truth that united us as a family, um, united believers together as a family, the truth of Jesus's incarnation, his death, burial, and resurrection. That unites us together as a family. Now he talks about the lie that unites the Antichrist, the lie that Jesus did not come in the flesh. That's the bond that is uniting all of them. They reject the truth of the incarnation of Jesus, and they do it in subtle little ways to change um, um, what the truth looks like. In other words, as I said earlier, they're reinventing the truth of who Jesus is. And John issues a serious warning here. He says to them, watch out, be vigilant, be vigilant, because there are consequences for those of us if we don't let the truth protect us. If we don't let the truth protect us. Now, I want you all to think for just a minute here of all the ways we protect ourselves in the world today. Um, we wear seatbelts, don't we, every single time we get in our car so that we don't get thrown around in case of a car wreck. Uh, most of us have um, alarms on our houses so that we're protected from people breaking in and um, stealing our possessions or harming our family. Um, we even have... Um, apps on our phones that are identity theft perfect, uh, protections. I don't, I don't know whether you get those alerts from your um, credit card companies or from your <laughs> banks. Um, all of those things protect us in this life, don't we? Tangible things that protect us. John gives a warning here to his readers uh, about what will protect them in their future life in eternity? Uh, what protects their life in eternity? They must watch out and be vigilant for deceivers and false teachers because if they fall prey to these lies that are circulating around, that are reinventing the truth of who Jesus is, they're going to lose the rewards that God has already planned for each one of us. Um, now, the rewards that John talks about here are actually mentioned several times in the New Testament. At the rapture, when Jesus returns for all believers, we're going to receive this great reward of a glorious new body that is minus a sin nature. Um, I'm gonna, I'll take one of those. How many of you want a glorious new body with no sin nature? What an amazing and great reward that is going to be. But we also know from the New Testament that there's going to be a time of judgment for believers uh, when we're all going to stand before Jesus and be held accountable for the life that we live here as believers. Now, this is not a judgment of sin. Because our sin has been paid for. We never have to be judged for our sin again. Jesus has taken care of that. This is a judgment of our rewards. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And Romans 14, 12 says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And Matthew 5, 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And my favorite is Revelation 22, 12, where Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give it to everyone according to what he has done. What a great day to look forward to. What an amazing, an amazing time that we, all of us, have in our future. But John warns his uh, readers here, even in light of that great day that is in their future, there's a danger out there from the false teachers. A danger from the false teachers. But walking in the truth protects them and keeps them on the path of righteousness and it protects their future rewards. It protects their future rewards. When we compromise the truth, this side of heaven, that guides us with false teaching, when we begin to take in those little nuggets of untruth that are woven in with the truth, um, the real truth about Jesus, what we do is we are risking those rewards that Jesus has for us right now that he's going to bring back um, for us when he comes. You know, most of us that are parents have had the experience of having to withhold um, a reward from one of our children because of a misstep they've made in their behavior. Um, And it's not that we don't still love them. It's not that we don't think there might be other rewards in store for them. But it is disappointing and sad when we see that they have stepped off the path and lost this reward. There's no joy in that, is there? There is no joy in that. John wants his readers to have the full joy of the full rewards, he says here, on the day that they meet Christ and give an account of their life, receiving everything that Jesus has prepared for them. And that's what's going to happen. If they let the truth protect their journey this side of heaven, keeping them from the messages of false teachers that may lead them astray. And John has one other nugget of wisdom here for his readers in these couple of verses. Um, He says to them wisely, don't walk away from the truth that you started your spiritual journey with. That's what he means here when he says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ. You know, earlier we talked about um, that John talked about um, that they should not reinvent the message, the original message of the truth of Jesus that founded, that the apostles founded the church with. And what John means here is after you've walked um, your spiritual journey for a ways, don't suddenly defect Don't defect off the path of truth. You've been walking on it for a while, but don't defect now. Because if you do, it's a serious consequence. When you defect from the truth, what do you lose? You lose a meaningful relationship with God the Father whenever you defect from the truth, whether it's for a minute or a day or a year or a lifetime, to leave the truth about Jesus is to leave the God of truth. 
But there is good news because when we do remain in that truth of who Jesus is, we have a double blessing. When we choose not to follow uh, false teachers off into the weeds of the lies, it's a double blessing because whenever we stay true to the truth of who Jesus is, we gain a personal dynamic relationship not only with Jesus but with God the Father as well. Not defecting from the truth maintains those great, wonderful awesome relationships look at john 14 23 on your verse sheet jesus answered him if anyone loves me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him that's what john wants for his readers that double blessing he wants their loyalty their loyalty to the truth to protect them from the false teaching throughout their lives and give them the double blessing of divine relationship. So what's the truth or consequence for us? What's our choice here, truth or consequence? John's laid it out pretty plainly. The truth protects us, doesn't it? It protects us. Walking in the truth, it protects our future rewards that when we stand face to face with Jesus Christ that he has for us and it protects the most important relationship we will ever have. You know, most of us do a lot to protect our friendships and protect our family relationships. We can walk in the truth to protect our relationship with God the Father and God the Son. So this is what I want all of us to do. Every single time we get in our car and we click that seatbelt, which I do about a thousand times a day, and I know you do too, when you click that seatbelt that protects you in your car, Remind yourself when you do that, that walking in the truth protects what your future looks like in eternity. And it protects your relationship with God the Father and God the Son until we see them face to face every single day. And of course, the consequence is the flip side of that coin, isn't it? Um, we do ourselves harm. We do ourselves harm when we leave the truth, ladies, and embrace the lies of false teachers. Um, we harm our future in eternity. We harm the most important relationship we'll ever have. Okay, let's read these last few verses. Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you face to face so that our joy will be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So in John's day, it was really common for teachers and preachers to simply travel around. They didn't have a home church that they stayed with. They traveled around constantly, and then they depended on people in whatever church they wanted an audience in to provide for them. And if you turn to Acts 18, what you see is that Paul stayed with Priscilla and Aquila for 18 months while he taught at gatherings of believers in Corinth. And so here, as John is writing to this church and its people, he's addressing that practice of just welcoming traveling teachers into their gatherings of believers, into their churches, no matter where they met, simply because they show up to teach. 
Um, now, he's just spent the last few verses here in his little postcard talking about abiding in the teaching of Christ, abiding in the gospel truth about Jesus. And he makes it clear here in verse 10 that it is this truth and this truth only that should give a teacher, uh, no matter who he is, access to their fellowship of believers. Um, so if anyone uh, comes to teach without the truth of the gospel, John is admonishing him emphatically here. He says, turn them away. Turn them away. Now, I don't know how many of you have been on an airplane recently, traveled by plane, but those of you that have know um, what it's like. Before you can board a plane. You go through this incredible security process. You're handled by a whole lot of security guards, and I do mean handled. Um, you can, uh, they check your bags, they x-ray your person, they ask you questions, they always, for some reason, pat me down. No one gets close to an airplane unless the TSA clearly lets them through. The TSA guards these airplanes. I think verse 10, actually, as I read this, is John's own version of the TSA here. Um, um, I, I tried to figure out something clever like truth stands always or truth stands alone. Um, when teachers show up, John is telling this church, only those with the truth should get into the church because it's the truth that guards the church from heresy or apostasy. Um, and if these teachers don't have the truth, they don't get an audience in the church. They also don't receive help, encouragement, and he even says here, greetings, um, uh, according to John. Now, John's message here, we don't want to camp on whether this is inhospitable or whatever. What we want to get um, out of John's message is he's not promoting persecution of false teachers, no stoning or tearing of the clothes here. He doesn't want to be unkind. His message really is that we want to focus on is that the test of every teacher that wants to be heard in a church must be the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ because heresy is the deadliest cancer in anybody of believers. Anybody of believers and every church must be a no-tolerant zone for false teaching. Truth guards the church and protects it from heresy and apostasy. Now, I love the way that John ends his little postcard here because he says, um, I, have, I have so much more to write to you. And I always can kind of feel John's emotions when he writes. He has so much more he wants to say to them. Um, I think his message here as he closes is, we're never done with the truth. We're never done with the truth. There's so much more that we need to learn and know and understand and discern. And no one knows that more than John. No one knows that more than John. At the end of his life, he still wants to teach the truth. And he knows they don't have it all yet. And he hopes to do it face to face because he's going to get joy not only from being with them, but he's going to have joy from seeing them marvel at the truth. As he closes his letter fondly here, he reminds us that as a body of Christ, there's always more to learn. It's a great reminder for everyone in every church that truth should always be sought and always be taught. 
That's how John closes his letter. So what's that final truth or consequence here for us as we finish this postcard? You know, in medieval times, the strategy um, uh, as they were trying to take a fortress was you first had to defeat the guards on the outside, didn't you? You had to defeat the guard on the outside, and then once you did, you were free to overrun the people and take them captive. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility in today's church to never let that happen, to never let that happen. A great responsibility as members of our church, whatever church you're a part of, to ensure that the doctrinal truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ remains as the guardian and foundation of the church, that it is the truth that protects the church from heresy and apostasy. We have to take our role because we have a role, ladies. It's not just Pastor Cody's role or the elder's role. We have a role in it too. We have to take our role in upholding the truth that guards the church seriously because the consequence of neglecting our responsibility is that false teachers and false messages stand in the place of truth. And you know what happens when false teachers and false messages stand in the place of truth? We no longer have a church. We no longer have a church. So what's it going to be, ladies? Truth or consequences? Pray with me. Father, you um, are the God of truth. Our Lord Jesus is the incarnation of the truth. The word that we have been studying all morning together is your truth. I pray that we would be women that take our responsibility to uphold the truth that guards the church seriously. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to any messages that have been um, uh, taken captive to false messages and, and false teachers. Lord, give us um, discernment, give us wisdom, um, and give us grace and mercy and peace as we leave today. And I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.